Rob, how's it going? A lot has changed in the last week. We were on, what, uh, this, it was this time last week, and uh, we've had several stages since. And uh, before we get into it, Rob, I just want to mention some news. So uh, Mark Cavendish, I'm sure many are huge fans, uh, just announced that he wants to stay on for another two years. Um, whether he'll stay on that quick step, step, I'm not sure, but that's fantastic news. Uh, and perhaps he's gunning for that uh, record, all-time record to beat Merckx at the Tour de France. It would certainly seem like it. And yeah, you know, he's 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 been all right this year. He's not been phenomenal, maybe not as strong as he was at the Tour last year, but definitely looking like a man who's got another Tour stage win within him. And where he gets the opportunity to chase that this year, we're not sure. But yeah, another two years. At some team may not be quick step. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah. The opportunity's definitely there, and I hope it's the target he's chasing, and I think one he can attain. So, yeah, yeah, we'll go into uh, Mark a bit more when we go into uh, back to zeros. But I also want to mention uh, Ellen Van Dyke. So she's a uh, world record holder now. She went for the hour record. I don't know if you saw the news; it, it just came out a few hours ago. She broke the women's hour record with a phenomenal time of forty-nine kilometers. 254 meters um so yeah i thought i'd uh, mention that for the listeners yeah i've seen that i think obviously trek the men's side have been doing some very strong time trialing i think the women's also similarly i think the new uh the trek setup both on the men's and women's teams very fast and they've managed to convert that onto the track and the like extremely strong time trials i believe world champion currently as well and uh, yeah, Joss Loudon's record, I believe, beaten. And uh, yeah, I think I briefly had a look at her lap splits earlier today. And yeah, it seemed seemed an interesting method. I think she died off a bit at the end, if I remember it correctly. Um, but yeah, no, big kudos to her and very rapid time. And obviously a big congratulations to Trek as well. They've put a lot of work into that breaking that sort of record need the equipment perfect everything perfect and yeah they pulled it off so so yeah each record they say it costs anywhere between 50 to like 100 or 100,000 pound plus so uh good on them for backing her and well uh the gamble has paid off i guess for sure yeah yeah it's uh, great there and also to promote women cycling in this way as well um making some big news i think that'll be Hopefully, maybe front page of Cycling Weekly this week. Well, probably lose out to the Giro, but definitely a big side story for uh, for women's racing for sure. Yeah, and uh, so back to Giro. Um, as I mentioned earlier, tons have changed, records uh, or rather, yeah, records broken uh, in the sense that we had our first uh, African winner. Yeah, Biniam Gamay taking a more aggressive stage than I think was expected. I think people maybe thought even Caleb Ewan could hang on for this sprint on stage 10. But um, it was Warrior Reduce's group, only 28 in the front group making it to the finish. So not a million miles off a GC day. And um, yeah, all coming down to a very select group sprint. We saw some some attacks, Simon Yates getting in on it after dropped a lot of time not long on a few stages before this or the stage before this and uh yeah all coming back together for a big group sprint and Biniam Gamay, Matthew Vanderpoel taking out a big gap but ultimately Biniam having a fair fair amount on Vanderpoel and getting around him quite convincingly so yeah I think that image of uh that finish will remain iconic not just because it was the first African who won but the fact that 
he won against Van der Poel. Um, and the fact that Van der Poel understood the situation or the, how do you say, the gravity of the situation. And he yeah. just, he just uh, put his thumbs up and it's incredible, incredible scenes. And uh, yeah. one that will inspire effectively a whole continent. For sure, this is a big moment in cycling. I feel you look at the finished picture in Van der Poel, a generational talent for sure, miles ahead of the rest of the field. And you've got Binyam Gamay, clearly what I believe uh, one of the very few non, non-white riders in this peloton. And yeah, he smoked him essentially. And this is a young rider. For me, this is a lot of people had Gent Wevelgum as Binyam Gamay's breakthrough, but I think this stage to me really confirmed this guy is going to be a serious big time rider. Born in the year 2000, very, very young still. This is just the start of Binyam Gamay's career. And I think seeing the pole giving him the thumbs up, I think almost is him recognizing Gamay is going to be a serious challenge, not only in stages like this, but Roubaix, Flanders. Gamay can potentially have a big, long career ahead of him. And very similar athlete to Peter Sagan, in my opinion. We've seen him very competitive in earlier bunch sprints and is looking like his um, classics campaign can also be similarly as strong. So, yeah. Yeah, absolute scenes. And then um, he, he went and topped it off at the end of the, at the end of the, what's called, at the end of the celebration. He's no longer in the race. No, very sad to see. Popping a champagne uh, bottle with a cork going straight into his eye. I believe Cormac causing a hemorrhage in there and there's a team doctor I believe saying strongly advising against him continuing to race so sadly sadly winning the race has cost him, cost him his further participation in a, a good shot at the sprints jersey in this Giro so yeah he's off home well yeah. so sad to see and uh, weirdly I think Van der Poel had a similar incident on, a, on the stage he won popping a cork into his face as well however escaping a bit less damage but yeah sadly Gamay Gamay uh, not getting off so so fortunately yeah he would have had another win or two in him I think especially for this Giro but silver lining is that he might then be rested up uh, for the tour for sure yeah he'll uh, be time off now I imagine to let this injury recover I've not seen too many further details just strongly advise not to continue and hopefully it heals well and if it does, you imagine a yeah a trip to the tours for him. Um, his team have another quite similar rider in uh, Alexander Kristoff, who I believe would probably be the more valuable signing. But yeah, Gamay definitely looking like the stronger option to choose. And uh, yeah, I think you're probably right in uh, saying they'll be eyeing him up for a spot on their tour team for sure. And regardless of. Um... You know, just uh, the fact that he's rested or not, he brings more attention to the team than any other rider combined. Uh, so I think in terms of giving back to the sponsors, they're going to have to have him in. Absolutely. Like, my value for money, I think when they signed him, they'd have signed him for very little. And, you know, he's extended with this team now. I think it might be through to 2024. So not that long a contract. If I was them, I'd be wanting to sign him on a serious long-term contract. But yeah, however much he's, he, I think next two years, he'll be one of the most valuable cyclists in the world. I think he'll get the results, but 
yeah, the diversity and attention around the diversity he brings to the sport is massive for sponsors and such a good thing to see in the sport as well. So, yeah. And he's in a similar situation as Vanderpo in the sense that he rides for effectively a B team whereby he has, or he will be given freedom to do what he wants. Uh, he might not get that in another team, so he might he may well stick around. Yeah, I'd say he's in a perfect position into Marseille, a real team on the up. I believe they must have very, very strong background staff because um, their their budget, I don't believe to be very big. And yet they are really, really performing on the UCI points tally really, um, really high up and taking big, big results along with it. So, so yeah, I think great decision for him to stay with the team he's currently at. Yeah, talking of UCI points, stage 11 was set for Lotto Sedal's Caleb Ewan and uh, he didn't, he didn't deliver. No, no, it's um, it's a weird stage actually, pan flat, Caleb Ewan kind of really, when you look at the full Lotto Sedal roster, there's not really much other than Caleb Ewan on that roster, unfortunately. They've already taken the stage with uh, Thomas de Ghent, but you'd say that's probably one of the luckier wins of the Giro so far. Um, yeah, Caleb Ewan, just not there in fifth. Kind of weird, the big three favourites for this pamphlet stage, Arno DeMar, Caleb Ewan and Mark Cavendish, all appeared to go too early, to be honest. I don't, don't know if there was a bit of a headwind or whether they all just went too early, but yeah. Um, Alberto Dainese taking a surprise win. Not many, not many people predicting that for sure. Yeah, and that's probably what his best win uh, for the young Italian so far in his career. Lisa, I believe he, I think he might have taken a Vuelta, Vuelta stage last year potentially. But yeah, I'd say a, a Giro victory, especially for an Italian. Would be would be seen as bigger. Oh no, he didn't take a well to win last year. His best was a second, but yeah, you know, he showed himself quite well in the Vuelta last year. But um, but yeah, this time I believe it's yeah looking like it's his first Grand Tour stage win and a real uh, real real good result for him. Looked very good, strong in that sprint, having I believe previously led out his teammates uh, Case Bowl in previous sprints. So. So yeah, really good for him. Yeah, and uh, I'd also we... like to take this as a sorry. I'd take this yeah. as a bit of an opportunity to shout out uh, a fellow Loughborough PhD student, Kurt Bergen Taylor, who's a uh, Alberto Dainese's coach and uh, coaches, I believe, sees ball as well. So I think this is also his uh, first Grand Tour stage winner. So so yeah, I'll take this to opportunity to big up Loughborough for a little bit. So, no, yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, so uh, just a quick heads up. Uh, for those who haven't heard about Rob before, he's a Loughborough student studying his PhD or researching for his PhD rather. And uh, yeah, he coaches uh, athletes as well. Uh, so I think you were on at, uh, episode seven, if I'm not mistaken, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on episode seven. So if you're interested in me, you're more than welcome <laughs> to find out a little bit more there. But, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And then, uh, so... We're slowly moving up the country now. Uh, we started in Hungary, first three stages. Then we were down uh, south in Sicily. And the Giro is quite incredible. It just moves us, snakes its way up uh, the whole of Italy. So Wednesday's stage was, stage 11 was in, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, you want to have a go? 
Uh, absolutely not. No, I'm not a man of deep culture, as I think I've said before. Italian is is not a language I've even attempted to learn. So, no, I think I'll give it a pass tonight. <laughs> so, onto Helios stage stage twelve. Uh, we're in Parma and uh, Genova. Uh, sh- shortest stage, 186 kilometers. Uh, talk us through it. Stage twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, longer race, longer stage today and uh yeah, one for the breakaway. Um sort of in that phase now. A lot of strong riders off G C and um yeah, kind of people out of G C and riders who haven't taken the stage, kind of not getting desperate at this point, but you know, you're kind of at the halfway stage of the Giro and you're really wanting to get that result. And uh, with this stage starting first half of it being uphill for some further hills this was an ideal day for breakaway we saw a big break going up the road with 22 finishing before the main gc group and uh yeah a lot of big names in there as well some such as wilco kelderman whose gc ambitions failed and others who were never expecting much and also the matthew vanderpoel making an appearance in there yeah and uh with stage 12 um how did it break down how did how did it end uh, it broke down. So, yeah, uh, we saw a group of three. Jace Lemmerizer, very talented Dutch rider on the Jumbo Visma team, Lorenzo Rota, Rince Marche, and Stefano Aldani, a uh, teammate of Vanderpol, who may have been expected as a potential rider to take this stage himself, although I think he did, needed very good legs. And I don't think he's quite on his top form this, uh, this Giro. Those three got away and uh, developed quite a nice gap. And then we had sort of a chasing group of uh, Balcomola, uh, Santiago Petrago, a talented young Colombian from Bahrain, Victorious, Wilco Kelderman, who uh, his GC uh, bid failed on stage nine, I believe, and, and Lucas Hamilton. Uh, and, but they didn't work together well enough, couldn't bring those three back. Um, and yeah, we saw Stefano Aldani taking quite a dominant win in the sprint, real strong ride from him, taking uh, another stage win for Alperson Fenix. And uh, that's another win for Alps and Phoenix. And that's another team that's doing really well with uh, the points. Um, it looks like they're going to go World Tour next year. Yeah, for sure. I believe they've made uh, made that intention known. Um, losing one of their key riders, Tim Alia, I believe. I think I've heard he's signing for um, Quick Step. Um, so, so that'll probably be a large blocker for Mark Cavendish attending the tour with Malia going there but yeah Alperson Fenix taking the step up next year and it'll be interesting to see what that team do I think they're becoming a lot more than just the Matthew Van Der Poel team now and uh, some real strength and depth and some real strong coaches within that team as well to move their riders to the next level Absolutely and then uh, stage 13 uh, this uh, funky stage fairly flat but it has quite the climb in the middle and uh, you would have expected most teams to try and drop the likes of uh, Mark Cavendish. Uh, Keda Boom, obviously, going home by this time. Uh, he's probably resting up for the tour and probably licking some wounds as well. Definitely licking some wounds. They'd have wanted some stage wins. Don't think I can be too harsh on Caleb. I think I think his speed's there. I think his workout needs, needs work. His lead-out team needs work. But, um, yeah, essentially, these sprints, it's comes down to luck a lot 
and he, he he has been unfortunate and yeah leaving this Giro empty-handed uh going away and hoping for more at the tour I feel but um but yeah for uh those still in the race this race this stage really really I think not raced how I'd have raced it if I was a DS I think just no oh, I think it was just raced so wet I think this was a stage for riders to really be aggressive and they just weren't. There's absolutely massive climb um, after kind of about a quarter, a third of the way through the race. Yeah, We already had a breakaway up the road. 10K at 7%. You can put an awful lot of time into the proper sprinters at this point. And, you know, with Binium Gamay gone, this opens it up for someone like Vincenzo Albanese. Edward turns to really have a proper reduced bunch sprint and really potentially win a stage where they've got no chance compared to the real top heavy guys. Break already up the road. The sprinters teams really control the pace on the climb. Everyone else just sitting back and taking it. No one trying to form a break. And I'd have really been asking my team to form a break if I was a DS tier. And that um, small breakaway group, I believe, of only four or five, their advantage went out from three minutes to six minutes just with the sprinters group um, just riding up there so slow to ensure Cav and Damar weren't dropped and uh, a real hard chase for them to bring back six minutes in the last uh, last kilometres. It was a, a small breakaway, but some real strong riders in here, Julius van der Berg and uh, Pascal Einkorn, I believe, um, were the real engines of, of the breakaway and, and real riding strong and they brought them back just in time and partly because of the the, uh, the breakaway finessing in the final kilometres. And just for the benefit of the listeners, uh, the, the finish was down to, uh, as you mentioned, the finessing of the uh, breakaway. What, what, what do you mean exactly? So, yeah, so when you're in the final kilometre of a stage, you've kind of got the, got the group coming behind you. You don't want to be the one going hard all the way to the line because your fellow breakaway compatriots will just sprint round you. Unfortunately for the faster riders who who were expected to win, um, the slower riders in that group knew they were likely to win that sprint. So sort of called the other riders bluff, hoping they'd turn to the line and giving them a chance to sprint round them for the stage. But everyone just sat up and, um, yeah, it was too little, too late. No one's bluff was called and, they all bluffed each other out of it, unfortunately, and letting the sprinters get back to them. Yeah, and uh, it ended with a sprint. And uh, once again, uh, Mark Cavendish wasn't anywhere to be seen. Oh, I think that's a bit harsh. He was close. Ah, he was close <laughs> in third. He that, was, that's being too kind. I think, yeah, I'll give you that. That's maybe too kind. He was... He... he, he, he he didn't deserve to win that stage. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, Demar really strong. Demar taking it. Gaviria maybe slightly boxed in, and Phil Bauhaus uh, coming like an absolute train, almost taking the win. Don't think anyone uh, really expects too much of Phil Bauhaus. I think a bit over over egged by Byron Victorious, but this time he did get close. But another win for Arno Demar and. You know, guys really cleaning up at this Giro, and if so that, what's that? The third, the third win of his Giro this year. I think that is the third win of his Giro, and if he had half as much success at the Tour this year, Group Armour FTJ would take that all day long. But yeah, 
French team dominating in Italy, it seems. So, so yeah, really good for them and really good for Demar. It's potentially not his best year last year, but really looks to be back on it this season. Could you argue he's the best sprinter in the world currently? It's big. That's a big, bold claim, I'd say. I. He's got a shout. I say Tim Melia, Jasper Philipson, and um, and uh, oh, the other quick step sprinter. His name's totally gone now. Oh, Fabio Jakobsen can all uh, claim that title quite strongly. I think Philipson for me is probably my favourite to make take the most stages at the tour. But um, yeah, for sure, Demar, Demar, Demar's going well. Think definitely the best set of results so far, but whether we can back it up with further stages at the tour, um, we yet to see. Dylan Groenewegen potentially maybe the fastest sprinter, but his uh, lead out train's looking pretty shocking at the moment, so he's not really achieved too much. But yeah, Demar can definitely throw his hand in the mix for claiming to be the best sprinter in the world currently. Yeah, incredible. And uh, just going back to Cavendish as well, like. He got that early win and um, I guess a lot of buzz around that, but he hasn't really produced anything since. No, for me, this this could be the nail in the coffin for his uh, go at the Tour this year. Personally, for me, I still take him to the Tour if I'm choosing that team. The uh, current quick step, also in this Giro, like their classics campaign, in my opinion, really struggling for results compared to what were expected for them. Uh, their main man for the tour, Julian Alaphilippe, still attempting to recover from his horror crash in Liège, Baston Liège. And for me, I like the idea of taking two sprinters to the tour. You know, there's a lot of crashes, and um, you know, one of your riders can crash out, one of your riders can miss the time cut. If I'm a quick step, I'm taking both Cav and Jakobsen. I don't know whether they will. Jakobsen hasn't been looking great, but I have to say, apart from his first stage win, Cav also not looking great. And uh, I don't think he can claim to be the best sprinter in the world currently. Definitely a losing argument for me at the moment. So, yeah. Uh, so we're on to Saturday's stage, uh, stage 14, Santina to Torino. We're very close to the northern borders of Italy, where the mountains are now at. So this is a hideous stage. Not quite the mountains yet. That's uh, for Sunday stage and on to next week or on to this week, rather. So what happened on Saturday? Yeah, so this stage, very hilly, a uh, little circuit as well at the end. It was a build-up as a, a breakaway stage and had Simon Yates' name written all over it as a big favourite to take this one. Simon Yates, indeed the winner. However, he didn't go in a breakaway. He just sort of held on to the GC guys and just beat them, beat them at their own game, essentially, appearing arguably as strong, if not stronger, than uh, the majority of them and taking this stage win. But, yeah, this stage a real corker and, uh, yeah, a lot more to go into than just the headline of the Simon Yates win. I guess he can burn a lot more matches than the GC contenders currently because he doesn't need to save himself for the rest of the Giro, effectively, yeah. right? Indeed, yeah, Simon Yates can really look, I think, in this final week also to take a further two stages. Um, obviously, I think he deserves to be the favourite or one of the favourites for the second time trial, having taken the first one. 
um, and kind of uh, with all these mountain days, if he if he's if he misses the break, he doesn't feel a good one that he can have a total rest day. You know, um, I don't think it's any secret he came in here as one of the probably the second favourite behind Carapaz to win. Um, and it looks like his knee's in good shape. It looks like he's doing all right in the heat and uh, arguably still the strongest climber in the race. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him take another two stage races, another two stages of this race. Um, but yeah, that breakaway originally looking like it was going to form Alessandro Covey and Ivan uh, Sosa, probably the strongest riders in that break, licking their lips, thinking stage win was up for grabs for them. But all of a sudden, Bora, Bora Hansgrohe uh, started pacing and, and bringing them back, much to the surprise of many, many viewers and also uh, other teams. Yeah, and it ended with uh, who taking that one? With VH taking it, who, who, who finished second, third? I think there was some time uh, gained by uh, some GC contenders. Yeah, so with Bora, with Bora being so aggressive, they really paced a lot of strong riders. We had Wilco Kelderman really blowing the race up, essentially, after Giovanni Aliotti really put the pressure on. Yao Almeida getting dropped at various stages, both on the ascents and descents, um, and a real hectic stage. Richard Carapaz putting in an absolute hero attack, looking the strongest on the, the penultimate climb and trying to solo a long way to take the win. This, for me, was a shocking move, and with so many domestiques still in that bunch, he got brought back. And then going into the final climb, we saw um, Simon Yates, Jai Hindley, and a seemingly reborn Vincenzo Nibali bridge across to him. Uh, those four, those, that four then became a group with uh, Domenico Pozzovivo, Jao Amida chasing in close quarters, and yeah, Simon Yates jumping away to take the win. Yao Almeida, our third favourite to win this race, showing some terrible descending and losing further time. And Simon Yates winning with Jai Hendley coming in second, beating a race favourite for the overall Richard Carapaz. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess that sets us up uh, very nicely for the final stage of last week, stage 15, into the mountains. And uh, I guess it's uh, a precursor for what's to come next week is i mean this week as well so uh stage 15 over to you stage 15 yeah so with uh with the previous stage being such the big day such a hard day for the gc contenders uh this big mountain stage ended up being quite a, a damp squid in terms of uh, gc action the three very tough climbs although ultimately the last climb the second half of it really not that steep of gradients and we essentially saw no no GC action, couldn't really tell anything from it, uh, where people's form was, all that sort of came from uh, the previous day. We saw another strong breakaway, lots of strong climbers and guys, guys whose GC had fallen apart, the main two whose uh, GC fallen apart being Hugh Carfe and Julia Sicone. Um, they were away in an elite group with uh, Santiago Petrago, uh, the young Colombian, I, I think I may have mentioned him before, and Sicconi, uh, looking like the strongest guy and taking the win by a minute and a half. So so sad to see his GC uh, attempt fall. Um, but yeah, he's clearly got the legs and I think he'll be challenging Simon Yates for stages uh, later on in this Giro, but a great win by him. 
Absolutely. So what does the GC, uh, GC look like going into the final week? So GC into final week, unbelievably, the, the Giro um, route planners really deserve credit for this going into the final week. There's generally, genuinely seven people, eight people who can still win this race, uh, eight within three minutes, um, which you, know, you can easily win the, win the Giro within three minutes going into final week and five within a, a minute, give or take a second or two. Um, yeah, Richard Carapaz and Pink. Guy Hindley behind seven seconds, Yao Almeida 30 seconds, Mikel Lanza and Dominic Pezzavivo a minute in the fourth and fifth respectively. And uh, behind them, you know, the three behind them are really interesting wild cards. You've got Poe Bilbao, teammate of Mikel Lanza. They've got two still in contention and Emmanuel Bookman, teammate of Jai Hindley, uh, he's still in contention. So kind of two wild card GC riders for teams to use there and behind them Vincenzo Nibli a true legend of the sport having previously won all three Grand Tours he's only at three minutes and um and yeah he he's won Giro's in spectacular fashion in the final week before and this being his final season uh I don't think he's going to fight just for the podium. I think he's going to try some real crazy tactics and go for the win. And uh, either he crashes and burns in that attempt or either way, I think he's he's finishing his career down in flames and I really hope he can be the animator of uh, his final Giro. It'll be great to see him. I have to admit, I'd love to see him win. I think it's a big, big ask, but I'd love to see it. And either way, I think we're going to see some extremely aggressive descending from him, uh, which I think could shape the GC in this final week. Yeah, and uh, I, I remember you mentioning Carapaz is uh, your favourite. you still going with Carapaz? Yeah, I'm going for Carapaz. I believe on the last podcast I said Jai Hindley had no chance, but I think he's uh, definitely Carapaz's closest rival. I still back Carapaz quite strongly, to be honest. Um, he's just none of these other riders have really put in a GC performance as good as his third place at the Tour last year and you know previous Giro winner we're going to go to altitude and we know a lot of um, the South Americans especially Carapaz uh, basically grew up at altitude we'll see that come into a big advantage on some stages and uh, yeah I see Carapaz kind of winning this race and I wouldn't be shocked if there are some surprises. I do genuinely believe there are still eight people who can win this race. But for me, Carapaz has more than a 50% chance. I'd give Carapaz about a 70% chance of winning this race, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you there. And just based on the fact that his team have done it so many times, uh, they know what they're doing. They could yeah. probably do it with their eyes closed, to be honest. They could do it with any rider. Well, not any rider, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't think they could quite get me there, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carapaz, an experienced guy as well. And, and he also has great staff. They've got quite a strong team to support him as well. Um, so yeah, I think they should be feeling confident going into this final week. But yeah, Jai Hindley... I think he used the metaphor, I'm not here to put socks on a centipede or something, which is a phrase I've not heard before, but I think it was him saying he's here to win. So I hope he does give it a challenge and I hope Bora 
Han's going to really bring it to him. However, I, I think Carapaz is just stronger, to be honest, and that's what it'll come down to. But we'll see. We'll see. So, so yeah, the guy I, I'd really love to see win and I think really doesn't get talked about enough is uh, Dominica Pozzavivo, 39 years old, didn't even have a contract going into this year. And, uh, yeah, we picked him up before Intermar, Shager, Bear offering him that contract and they're, 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 they're just on another level. The team management's just on another level in this team. They are paying him. I wouldn't be surprised if they're paying him the minimum wage for yeah. World Tour riders. And it, it, it's not even... He has a good chance of podiuming this Giro and I, I just love to see it. It's, uh, it's fantastic. So I'll be cheering him on as well. So, so. I, I, don't, I don't think we talk about him enough only because of the fact that Valverde... Is he's doing similar things, if not better, you could argue better things. And Valverde is what 42? 42 Valverde. Pozzavivo's in his shadows, you know what I mean? He is in his shadows, but well, Pozzavivo is definitely better than him this uh, this grand tour. And I'd say I'd estimate Pozzavivo on a hundred thousand pounds, and I want to say Valverde is on 2.5 million. So, wow. Wow. I don't think Valverde is 25 times better. Um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of love for Domenico Pozzavivo, and I really, I, I give him about 2% chance of winning it overall. But, um, yeah, if he does, I'd absolutely love to see it. I think I'd love that more than when Chris Froome won the Giro, to be honest. But we'll see. It won't happen. It won't happen, but I really hope it does. So, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Final week looks like a absolute banger. Uh, there's no easy day apart from maybe when, no, not even Wednesday. Uh, I think Thursday. Thursday's the only sprint stage, I think. Uh, the rest of them are absolutely horrendous into the mountains, effectively. Into the mountains, into the mountains proper now. The, they, the, the race organiser really slow played this race. It's so backloaded and where the GC action can come. And uh, we're not just going to see GC action, we're going to see. Um, see breakaway action so many teams still wanting to get stuff out of this race and uh yeah it's going to be fireworks in the breakaway and fireworks in the gc so very exciting to see and you know it could all come down to this final time trial it's uh this is a race where we've said uh time trials won't make much of a difference but this final time trial i would not be surprised if the um if the race lead changed hands here so we shall see yeah and uh any any anything we should look, look out for uh simon yates i reckon simon yates is going to be on an absolute burn up i reckon on some of these mountain stages um we'll look out for yao almeida being put under pressure on the descent i believe he's um i think third favorite to win the overall currently uh i don't see it and nibley's going to put a lot of pressure on him on these descents and I think the descents will be as big a part played as the uh, the climbs in part, especially for Yao Almeida, who looked very poor on the uh, penultimate stage of this week when descending. So, so yeah, and um, yeah, look out for time cuts as well for the sprinters. Arno Demar all but has the sprints classification tied up. However, if he finishes too far behind on one race on a on one stage. He can get time cut, and uh, 
that's definitely something to look out for. Um, so yeah, especially if, because he's French and uh, there's potential Italian winners. So <laughs> <laughs> after the eliminating a lot of the uh, yeah, a lot of the um, sprinters to get Dainese into that jersey, I feel. But yeah, let's uh, let's see some aggressive time cuts being made. So I'd love to see that. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Rob, seeing another week, I guess, uh, with another roundup of what happens next week. Yeah, look forward to it and look forward to the racing. See Sweet. you then. Take care. Okay, bye.